Our Truth Encounter study leader, Dave Wurtson, has been taking us through the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, and it has been amazing to discover how influential these ideas were in the formation of our government and legal system. Last week, Dave began a discussion from chapter 16 on justice in the courts. Let's join him as he begins our study with some talk about speeding tickets. If you know the officer, shouldn't this mean he should let you off if you get caught speeding in a school zone? When it comes to courtrooms, when it comes to principles of law, there should be no looking upon faces. The ultimate partiality is if, oh, it's you, it's okay. That can begin with getting off tickets. In other words, if you go in and you've blown it, you've been speeding, but you know the person really well, so you go in and that makes it okay, right? That's looking upon faces. And someone that has ethics, someone that has what we're talking about in the book of Deuteronomy will say, you are my friend, I love you very much, but you're guilty. And you will pay the fine, just like everyone else. That's what Moses is talking about. The second thing he says is this. He says, you shall not pervert justice by looking upon faith, as you also will not accept a bribe. Why? Because a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise. And it twists the words of the righteous. In the Israelite law system, there was no place for bribes. In other words, if you were a judge under old Israel, and a case was before your hearing, and throughout the ancient Near East, you need to understand the background of this, and you've had some understanding of this in some of your dealings in the modern world with some of the Islamic culture and some, other, some of the other cultures that you might have been exposed to. But in the ancient Near Eastern culture, bribes were part of the system. For example, when I went down to Brazil, I can give you an idea about this, and not in a courtroom, but in another area. When we took a group of our church family to Brazil, and we arrived at Rio de Janeiro, we had places at the hotel. We had rooms at the hotel. You get a registration, you got a room in the hotel. Dave Cox and I arrived with several from our church family. We go to the, uh, the Coca Cabana Hotel, and we say, we have registration, we have rooms. They say, no, you really don't have rooms. No, we're all filled up. We said, no, wait, we've made these registrations for uh, many, many weeks now. It's, it's open. It, it, we've got the room. They say, no, you don't. You know what they were saying? They were saying, you need to get out your wallet, and if you hand them a 50 or if you hand them a 100, then you have a room. That's bribery. The whole culture. When, I, when I'm flying on the airlines... Flying on the airlines. I got in line. We were going up to Recife. Get right to the ticket counter. They said, sorry, you can't go. I said, what do you mean I can't go? Man, I go to American Airlines. I go to Southwest Airlines. Man, I, I hand them my ticket or give them my money. I go. They say, not here. Now, I saw an American businessman come in. Man, they just flipped out 100. Guess what? You are on the plane, baby. The whole system moves like that. They even have an expression for it. It means there's a way. The way is reach in your pocket. Jonathan talked to me about going to a, to a Maverick game. You go to a Maverick game, and I have to talk to him about this, but you go to the Maverick game. You go in, and, there's, and, you, and you need a parking pass to park in the overhead parking. But he went up there and took out a five, which was going to cost him anyway, gave the guy a five, and says, right there, sir. See, that's not following the standards. Now, what I want you to realize is that there's a lot of life that runs like that. 
And you start to become part of the system. Moses tells us. And I want you to understand that this is not one of those conditional things. Moses says, in the heart of God, you can't buy him. You see, this principle about not buying is, see, you can't buy God off. Some of you think you can. You, you will leave it your conscience. If you, if you had a wild time, in fact, to really shoot with you straight, some of you are here on a Sunday morning. You say, why, why am I here? Because you feel guilty. You went out and did some things you know you shouldn't do. So now you're going to buy God off. I'm thrilled to death that you're here. But I want you to understand something really clearly. You can't bribe God. You say, it'll make God really, really happy. And man, that'll atone for the fact that I got smashed out of my gourd. No, it won't. It will not. God will not let you bribe him. Don't deal with him like that. It makes him really angry to do that. You know why? Because he loves you. Every one of you understand. Every one of you understand in relationships. If you've got a friend, if they try to buy you, it hurts you. It ruins everything, doesn't it? It's one thing to have gifts and to have mutual sharing. That's a beautiful thing. But when somebody tries to buy a relationship with money, and even worse, if somebody tried to use money to pervert justice, something dies inside of all of us. And I want every one of you, from the smallest child to the oldest adults, I don't care what our society is doing. I don't care how the system works. I don't care whether you say, well, Dave, I can't exist in my business. I can't exist in what I'm doing without bribes. You need to stop doing it. Because that's what's wrong. We need God's children to say, maybe it's not going to work, but it's right. It's the way things really ought to be. And bribes should have no part. And this is a really delicate thing because almost every one of you, as I talk to you about our legal system, almost every one of you in this room have the idea, I don't have an, if I have enough money, I can get by. If I don't have enough money, then I'm going to get whammed. When I go into the prison with a Bill Glass crusade, it's an amazing thing. You know, the vast majority of people that are down in those prisons are very, very poor. And it's not all because what our society tells us, poverty produces crime. Evil hearts produce crime. I've told you that over and over again. I have been with poor people that don't have enough money to have enough food to eat and they still don't steal because they're moral and because they love the Lord Jesus. And they wouldn't steal for anything because they're moral people. But there's an awful lot of poor people in jail because they can't afford to play the system. And we need some young people, we need some adults that say, I'm going to get involved in that system and try to stand for what's right. And you'll probably get massacred in the system. You'll probably get really hurt in this system because very much passing money, paying different, different fees to cover things is all part of this system. In a court of law, the issue is what is fair? What is the truth? What has authentically and objectively happened? That's number one. What has happened? What's the evidence? And number two is how can this situation be justly, fairly, impartially resolved. And money should have no part of it. But it does. And we need some people that really say, man, I understand that. I see how it perverts it. And I'm not going to follow that. I'm going to follow a principle of justice and what's right. And that begins to change it. Bribes blind the eyes of the wise and they twist the words of the righteous. Instead, in verse 20, follow justice. In fact, 
The text here is really strong. It says justice. To just translate this literally, it says justice. Justice alone. Follow it. Why? So that you may live and possess the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, if you move down to verse 8, we move to more of a national context. It says that in cases that have come before your courts that are too difficult for you, you are to, that too difficult to judge whether it's bloodshed like a murder case or a very difficult lawsuit case or assault, take them to the place that the Lord your God will choose. Go to the priests who are Levites and to the judge who was in office at the time. Inquire of them and they will give you the verdict. This was like the Supreme Court of ancient Israel. You must act according to the decisions they give you at the place which the Lord your God will choose. Be careful to do everything they direct you to do. So there's real respect for this centralized authority. Act according to the law that they teach you and the decisions they give you. Do not turn aside from, the, from what they tell you, to the right or to the left. The man who shows contempt for the judge or for the priest who stands ministering there to the Lord your God must be put to death. You must purge the evil from Israel. All the people will hear and be afraid and will not be contemptuous again. What I want you to see in that is that, there was a, that Moses set up a system where there was a lot of respect for the centralized Supreme Court of ancient Israel. The idea was that there's going to be some local decisions that are too difficult. Maybe it's a case of, of a murder case where it's very difficult to determine was there intent, was there malicious intent, uh, is this a capital murder case, using some of the modern terminology that we use, or is this, an, is this a, a manslaughter case where it was accidental? And you might have a case in ancient Israel where it was very hard to decide which way that should go. Then they would appeal to the Supreme Court, a lot the way we do, and it would be tried there. And Moses lays down, it's very, very important. That court needs to teach you the standard. They need to teach you the moral principles of the Mosaic law. And then also they need to make their decisions based upon that law, those moral principles. And then you're to act upon it. And very strict penalties if you do not act upon it. Now there's one final um, court of appeal in ancient Israel. That's the king. And let's look what it says in the next verse is about the king. When you enter the land, the Lord your God is giving you. Notice again, who gives them the land? The Lord God gives it to them. And you have taken possession of it and settled in it. And you say, let us set a king over us so that we can be like all the nations around us. Tremendous push in our society. We want to be like everyone else. And that happened in ancient Israel as well. It says, be sure to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. Notice that God is the one in Israel's affairs that does the choosing and they pray for guidance. So God chooses their king and he must be from among your own brothers. You say, hey, why was that important? Because every nation is built upon a story. I want you to think about this. Every nation is built upon a story. It's all built upon what we call a common history. Ancient Israel was built upon the story of the Exodus was built upon God's deliverance from the land of Egypt. It was built upon the events of Mount Sinai. And Israel was built upon that. 
There's a great tendency as a nation begins to grow. You see, what God was concerned about, as Israel began to grow, and maybe they were threatened by the Egyptians, or they were threatened by the Babylonians, they were just a little state. There would be a big temptation for them to grab somebody, for them to grab a hold of somebody that was a, a military genius, maybe an Assyrian or maybe Egyptian, that had defected and would, would train their troops. In fact, when, when Israel, during the War of, of Independence in 1948 and 49, it was an American West Point grad that was made the head of all their armies. Why? Because he had the expertise. He's the one that had the military training to be political. He was the one that could bring all the factious groups among all the different guerrilla Israeli army forces and all the different groups that had been fighting against the Arabs before the war broke out, he was the only one that could get them all to sit at the same table. Well, that was a temptation in ancient Israel, and God says, you need to choose someone who's from among your own people. Ultimately, that relates to the story that we studied at Christmas time. Herod was called the king of the Jews, but he was not an Israelite. He was an Edomite. That's why he was so afraid of Jesus, a little baby born in Bethlehem. In fact, his son, Herod Agrippa, reading this verse, the rabbis say that Herod Agrippa cried over this verse because he was not a Jew. He was not an Israelite. He wasn't legitimate king because he broke the Deuteronomic law. I think the abiding principle is as, as we evaluate leaders, we need to think about their commitment to the story of our nation. One of the things that really concerns me about what's happening in our nation right now is the story of our nation is being forgotten. Or the story is twisted. The story is changed. That's just an objective truth. If you're an agnostic, you should at least know objectively that's why pilgrims came. They left England because they were being persecuted there. They went to Holland, and then they didn't like the fact that their kids were learning Dutch and forgetting their English, and they found out an opportunity, and they came to the New World because they wanted to be able to train their children in the Scripture. They wanted to be able to study God's Word, and they wanted to be able to worship. And it's in all the documents. You can read William Bradford wrote a brilliant essay that describes all the early development of the pilgrims and that first winter. And over and over again, I'll talk about God did this and God provided this. Praise be to God for his deliverance. They talk about to the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you just can't believe what they assume. In fact, a lot of you don't even realize, like in the Constitution, you know that, that the big clause, the separation of, of church and state, you know when it says against the establishment of religions, the original debate was we don't want any denomination to be able to dominate our country. The debate in Congress was there will be no establishment of any religious denomination. They weren't debating about whether God would be part of it. They, every meeting began with prayer. Every government official put his hand on this book. You see how the stories change? You have an idea in the secular school right now that that was a debate to exclude God from Washington. That's ludicrous. Thomas Jefferson was kind of a critical scholar and, and a rationalist, part of the Enlightenment. But that would be the farthest thing from his mind. He would talk about God. When they talked about inalienable rights, where do you think you supposedly got those inalienable rights? They believed there was a supreme being. You see how the story changes? That's what Moses was concerned about. It happened in Israel, too. Slowly but surely, they forgot their traditions. They forgot their roots. They forgot what founded them. They forgot the story. 
America has a great story, but your story as a believer is even more valuable. Your story of being born again and what it means to be committed to this book is even more valuable. Don't lose those traditions. That's why the Lord says, don't bring a foreigner to rule over you. You need someone that knows the story, the story of your nation, the story of your culture, the story of your people, and knows it well. And there's some very precious things that are part of our story. I'm talking to you this morning about some of the things that are true in God's Word, but they're also very true in my own heart. I started out today, I used to get you into this, the right of private property. That's a deep-seated biblical value rooted in the principle thou shalt not steal and God's gift of land and property. But you know what? It's a very precious American value. Soldiers have bled on battlefields to protect your right of private property. So that's a very important thing. It's based upon God's word. It's based upon our culture. And yet we're rapidly moving towards just distribute everything. You need to think carefully about that and get involved and let your voices be made known. Very important to exert. In a go- and following what we're talking about here, not partial, not bigoted, not angry, not yelling and screaming, being sure that we get the facts, but we need to be involved and follow these principles of impartiality and knowing the story. It says this also. Do not place a foreigner over you. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. There's three things I want you to get a hold of. Number one, what distorts government is power. The idea of horses, it's hard for you to make the connection. In the ancient world, the, 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 the tanks were the chariots. And God told his Old Testament people, I don't want you to multiply chariots. And what he was really telling them is, don't depend pridefully upon your military might. Number two, the other thing that distorts a nation is wealth. So you have military might, material wealth, and immorality. Those are the three things that distort justice in a government. Power alone is worshipped. The second thing is multiplying wives. In our culture, we do it a little bit differently than they did in the ancient world. In our culture, our governmental leaders just have serial wives. The idea is that you just have multiple ones. You don't have them all at once. You just go through a series of them in a lifetime. And I want all the young people to think really seriously about this, because our culture is saying, as you move up into power positions in our culture, as you move up into, into positions of influence, some of you that, that work in large corporations, I want you to think really carefully about how your bosses live. Some of you that work in some of the real power corporations, do your bosses feel like, I make several million dollars a year? If I want to have a mistress on the side, that's my business. That's what I can do. Why do they think that? Because that's the way power and prestige work. The higher you go up, the more easy it is to be deceived. You say, why is it that so many of these big, powerful preachers are fallen by the wayside? They have affairs. Why is that? And this is exactly how it happens, just like Moses warned the king of Israel. You see, you say, I'm a king. David said, I'm a king. King David in the Old Testament says, I'm a king. And because I'm a king, if Bathsheba is beautiful when I look at her, I want her. 
and kings can have what they want because they're different than everyone else. I know if I were to ask David in an intellectual debate, David, can you build a society on, on, on men that steal other men's wives? David, can you hold Israel together by having everybody in this culture just stealing one another's partners? Will that work? David would say, absolutely not. He would get angry with me about that. You say, well, Dave, why did King David do it? Because he was the king. He said, I'm above all that. And I want every one of you to, to watch that in your life. As you start to become successful, in your mind, you start to say, I deserve it. I know everyone can't do this. But I'm different than everyone else. I'm a Hollywood movie star. And everyone knows that Hollywood movie stars are above morality. They can sleep with whoever they want to. God says, no, you can't. If you're a governmental official, man, if I want to have other partners, that's my business. That should have no part in my public life. God says, yes, it does. Because you're showing that you've forgotten you're just one of the people. So be very careful of, depending upon your power, living for immorality and multiplying wealth. Instead, what should you build your life on? The last paragraph, when he takes the throne of his kingdom, to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the priests who are Levites. It is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of the law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his brothers and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will live, will reign in a long time over the kingdom of Israel. You know what the God told the Old Testament king he needed to do? Every day, the Old Testament king in the, in the nation of Israel had to get out this book and he had to read it. In fact, when they were inaugurated, what an ancient Israelite king was to do was to write out by hand probably the book of Deuteronomy. That's a long handwriting lesson. Why did God make them do that? Because that's how you learn to live justly. How many of you are, are like the king in ancient Israel? If I were to ask you, over the last week, every single day, did you open up this book and study it? Find out how to live? If you didn't, and if I didn't do it, that I'm perverting justice. I want to be really honest with you. You know, I have to get in this book every single day. As we close, I want to really just share with you from my heart. Going through the holidays is a really interesting time because it's a very complex time. I can think of, of, of individuals that chose. That was big party night. That was my chance to go out there and do some things, like to be at a party and do some things that I wouldn't ordinarily do. And I, I never would do that any other time, but I want to live out there in the world. And so they're, they're kind of doing this stuff that's a little bit away from what they would ordinarily do. And then they want to come back to the Bible. So they kind of live this split existence. Some of you are facing that in your homes. Some of you have, you've been together for many years and, and now your life partner is starting to say, I don't want to live like this. And I want you to understand how powerful these forces are. You decide, am I going to build my life reading this book, letting it talk to me, learning progressively to understand it better, and obeying it, learning to become wise, learning to be impartial? Or am I going to live just for what makes me feel really fulfilled inside? Am I going to live for what makes me happy? As soon as you start to live like that, you start to pervert justice. You start to move away from what I promise you will in the long run really make you happy.
we need to recommit ourselves every single day. I find if I don't open this book, not just to get ready to teach you, but to open this book for God to teach me, for God to get my crazy thinking straightened around, for God to put his finger on my passions that are beginning to take me away from him. Every single day, I need to open up this scroll and I need to read it. Some of you, what I challenge you to do is get a couple friends and meet together for breakfast and just go through a study guide like that and make yourself accountable. Say, guys and girls, you know, I want you to, to hold me accountable to this. Man, I, every year I start out, I'm really going to be in God's Word, but I get away from it. I want you all to help me. Let's help one another. Let's do this together. I believe that God's family is going to radically change when across our church family, and really across the land, believers start saying, this is not a Sunday morning affair. Like the ancient king of Israel, every single day, we're going to open this scroll, and we're going to study it, and we're going to listen to it, and we're going to ask the Spirit of God to help us to go out and obey it in the courtroom. One of the things I want you to get from teaching you today, I, I've dealt with the area of court. It's not my area of expertise. You know, Bob's a lawyer. Bob, I could ask Bob to come up and say, hey, you know, apply this legally. Bob needs to take what I shared today and make it work for him in a real difficult profession. I've talked to you as business people. You guys and girls out in business need to take what I did today and go out and, and think about it. How does this work in my business? Every one of us need to realize this Bible stuff needs to walk into the marketplace and not just be a nice Sunday morning story. Let's be like the King of Israel, every day opening that scroll and listening.